Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Thank you, Susan. Welcome, welcome. Good to hear your voice tonight. How are your baby goats doing? Oh, they're doing good. And how are your baby goats doing? Both of them are doing very well. 
This is the mother who last year, as first-time mom, we think kicked her babies to death. And if you think, what? Yeah, well, have you seen a goat, when you touch her udder, take her rear foot and, like, use it to scrape your hand off her udder? Yes, Mm -hmm, for sure. And it's almost a spasmodic kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it like is. this, like, smooth, graceful thing. It's like the hind leg, like, jerks up and comes down hard on your hand against her udder. Yeah, I know exactly. And I think that's what she did. The kids, when they tried to nurse mm. last year, so as soon as she was, you know, done licking them, I installed myself in the stall with the three of them to make sure that she accepted both babies. One of them was weak, uh, was mostly black, so I called it down, and the other one was very lively, and it was up, and it was mostly white, so I called it up. So I would pick you know, up would try to nurse, and of course they do that funny thing at the beginning where they don't really know like which end is up, right? Yeah, they're like trying to nurse anything like the neck, the shoulder, the knee. <laughs> right, right. It's like they haven't really got got a homing instinct about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> they just kind of go around butting it and seeing if it works. Right? So Up was doing that. Up was on his feet and was was doing that to various parts of her body. And she was standing there very nicely letting that happen and licking them. And I'm like, okay, this is going to work. But Dan couldn't get on his feet. Aww. And he was just laying there with his legs like a, like half a spider, his legs going in four different directions. It was really kind of sad. Oh, so I, you know, carefully keeping my hands away from the umbilical cord, took down up to the udder and down like, you know, nuzzled it and took a couple of sips and closed his eyes and went to sleep. And that's not the kind of action we want to see from a baby goat, is it? No. Not really. No, I'm supposed to take a couple of sips and say, yo, this is good, and really go for it. Yeah. So, so I just kept, you know, bringing, bringing down up to the other. And interestingly, down has some Nubian heritage, and so rather than being kind of like evenly patterned alpine, because that I usually have, which up up has an alpine coloring. Down has this kind of crazy quilt that the Nubians will get, and there's actually a yin yang symbol on his side. I noticed that in the picture that you sent me. I completely noticed that. It is amazing. Yeah. Wow. It's like a big yeah. patch of black with a circle of white in it, and, you know, melding into it a circle of white with a Circle of black, exactly the same size. It's like, whoa. No wonder we're calling these twins up, down, black, and white, day and night. So 
today and yesterday, Dan was doing better. Dan had figured out how to get up. And every time up nursed, I took down to the same spot. He said, do what your brother does. And up would lay down, and then down would wander off somewhere else and lay down. And I went and got down and put down on top of up. I said, your brothers, you two are laying together. And that's what they're doing now. When one of them lays down, the other one lays down right next to it. Yours are doing that too, right? Uh, yeah, the two siblings are. And then the other one is on the other side of the stall. On the other side, but the two siblings are like <laughs> right next to each other, even on top of each other. On top of each other, like two like little cuddle bugs noodled together. <laughs> exactly. So I didn't like mm-hmm. down going off and being by himself. I didn't allow that. So now they're cuddling and laying together. and Yep, and Dan has figured out how to get up on his feet and is nursing. Every time up nurses, down goes to nurse. I'm like, yes, Dan, you're getting it. Yay, two days. Aw. Still, still not as strong, right, because Dan's a little lethargic, and that lethargy means that Dan doesn't nurse as much, and because he doesn't nurse as much, he's not getting as much nourishment, and it makes him a little lethargic, so... So it's going to lag a little bit, you know. Up is like sucking, 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 and down is like sucking. Aww. <laughs> wow. And, and again, you know what I mean because you see the when the the kids are like really active. It's like you you think, how can she even stand it? Yes, yes, and even mom who just has the one kid it, she's gotten so big I picked her up yesterday and her belly was just so full she must be drinking so much milk as the solo kid uh-huh. <laughs> like, <wow. laughs> uh, we made a pot of yeah. rice so we can have colostrum pudding yum yum that's yum, what yum. I intend to do yep mm. good might put some goji berries in it Oh, wow. Yeah, I love raisins. And we, had, mm-hmm, we had eight. Yeah, I don't like raisins very much. I love no. grapes, but I don't like raisins. They're too sweet. And we had a great work weekend, and we made n- not just nettle soup, we made nettle pesto. Oh, yum. Oh. Mm. And, so, and somebody brought pine nuts, so we put pine nuts in the nettle pesto. Just divine. With the la- you know, we're picking, we're picking through the last of the garlic to get some good garlic to put in it. <laughs> wow! Oh my goodness, nettle! I I had my first nettle last week as well. I just went out and harvested some and cooked it up and added it to a stew that I was making just to put it in there. What you know, just to, to get it in. So yummy. Yum. Yum. Here mm-hmm. it is, right? All the flowers, you know, Woodstock is just ending for Scythia. It's still yellow, but it's not like a uh, uh, heartbreak yellow like it is. And now all the cherry trees have burst into bloom. We have so many civic cherry trees. It's a big civic planting around here, so it's really gorgeous when they come into yeah. bloom. Yeah. Yeah, really, and our, of course our nor- northern magnolia. Oh, 
meadows are blooming, and they're big trees and just covered, covered in flowers. At 9 o'clock tonight, Opal Luna will be with us. She is a crone priestess of Minerva, and she's a crocheter. Her new book is called Fiber Magic, A Witch's Guide to Spellcasting with Crochet, Not Work, and Weaving. And this is fascinating to me. I've talked before about women's work, the first 20,000 years spinning. And you may have heard at some point that witches were often tried naked. And the reason was because they knew that there were spells in the witch's clothing. Mm. Well, how could there not be when you've grown Mm -hmm. the fiber or harvested it from the wild and when you've spun it into thread and Mm. then woven it into cloth, cut it and sewn it into a garment? How could you not have made an imprint on the garment? An intention, Mm. even if an unconscious one. Mm. And so let's be conscious. Let's be conscious about it. Most of us don't, you know, grow, wild, harvest, spin, (laughs) weave, cut out and sew our clothes. But we can still use that kind of magic in well we'll find out from Opaluna I had to check out her website I was just so curious when I read about her being a guest tonight and fabulous I mean wow wow just really fun stuff and I love the words wording she uses so I'm I'm looking forward to meeting her tonight too (laughs) me to I once was very close to a woman who did just fantastic art crochet clothing. Mm-hmm. And crocheted this artistic bikini that I was supposed cool. to wear, which I which I did wear. <laughs> but what she didn't realize was that the fibers she had chosen when it got wet expanded. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so I got wet, the whole thing fell off. Is the whole new meaning to revealing. <laughs> really, right? <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, we're still, we're still friends. We still joke about the hand crochet <laughs> bikini that wound up at the bottom of the pool. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So anything else that you're doing that you want to talk about or shall we get into the questions? Um, we can get into the questions. We've got a hand raised. Um, it's, I don't have a whole lot going on other than planting and having a whole bunch of fun with baby goats and you know getting the hang of milking and that kind of stuff. So. All right. Hey, Good night. Yay, yeah. you. Yeah, it's it's one of the most beautiful meditations to me. To sit, it is. 
by the ghost and to have that rhythmic milking. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Connection. I yeah. doubt that I have connection to my, I can't believe I wasn't told, but my, on my maternal side, my great grandmother kept goats and milked them and made cheese and did everything, like everything. And unfortunately I don't have any of the recipes or the how to's. Um, my mom didn't think they were written down, but wow. Amazing. It's like, I, I really, it, it, they're in your blood. Yeah, my longing was they're not They're in your blood. Things. They're in your <clears throat> follicle, in your, yeah, you got it. It's there. Yeah. They're in your dreams. Those recipes. Sure. What's your name? Your great-grandmother. Ida Jane. Ida Jane. All right. Yeah. Well, I know that Ida, Ida Jane is is just thrilled that you're doing this. Mm, thank you, Susan. I'm just, oh, I'm so blessed to have this connection and share that. And mm, I just welcome the connection to deepen with her, with the connection with the ghosts and the earth. It's so lovely. I just, oh, so charmed, as you call it. Just, I love it. <laughs> One of the things we did this weekend was to take a goat stall all the way down to the floor. And that stall was, the amount of stuff in that stall was higher than my mid-thigh. Whoa. I made a huge compost pile from it. It was, it was enormous amount. And you'd think, oh, how awful, you know, you have to muck out the barn. But it's not that way in the goat barn. It can It can be very ammonia, but this wasn't. And it wasn't yeah. dusty. It was just the work of getting it, you know, out of the barn. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But as you say, it's such, you know, direct connection to your own well-being and your own food that it's it's suffused with joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Fused with joy. That, oh, that is so right there yeah used with joy thank you mm-hmm. mm, welcome so our first caller all right yes we have one caller with their hand raised and i'll remind everyone listening if you have a question tonight you'll need to press one to raise your hand and get lined up in the queue our first caller is dialed in from the 845 area code from the 845 you are live with susan Hi, Susan. Hi. How are you this evening? Pretty good. Um, Some local news in the neighborhood. Uh, There was a big goat, a male goat, about 120 pounds, found in Saugerties last week. And my friend's niece has it. That is a really... I need goat, 120 pounds. That's what I said to my friend. I said, how do you know it was that big? Did, did they weigh it? That's <laughs> not big. I'm saying that's not big. That's tiny. That's small. Oh, oh, that's small? That's a really small goat. I was thinking the same thing because, like, uh, I know dogs bigger than that. Yeah. 
Right. So what? What's uh, confusing to people is that goats have a barrel. They have a much bigger body than we do. I yeah. Right, and it's like propped up on these long legs, so it doesn't look like much. But I estimate that my adult female goats weigh over 200 pounds. Really? I have, I have seen an adult male goat pull oh. two men whose combined weight was over 500 pounds nose first through the dirt. Well, so this was I, a baby. Can, this was a baby buck. I, I can believe that. Or maybe I, I a yearling. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah. he was wandering where? Oh, uh, somewhere in Socrates. I couldn't get any more details. And um, the the word rescue was used, which is always kind of a little suspicious. You don't really know what that means. Uh, so I couldn't really get any any information. It did. I don't know, but um, she she has some other animals uh, uh, where she lives, like a barn and horses and ducks and mm-hmm. stuff. So I'm sure the goat's good. Yeah, sounds um, like it. Yeah, uh, she seems to feel like it's a dog. Like she walks it on a leash and stuff. I thought that was kind of funny, but <laughs> yeah, well, if it's a weather, they can act very dog-like. But if it's not weathered, it can get pretty dicey when it is full. Wait, what's that word you're using? Weathered? Weather. To weather a male goat is to cut off his testicles. Oh. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like it is weathered. Okay. Doesn't it? Like if you're walking it like a dog? Yeah. Huh. No, because this is the spring. It only becomes a problem in the fall in mating season. Oh, that was the other question I was going to ask you. Yeah, when when uh, about that, um, I'll never have goats myself, but um, I'm very interested in them and what they do, and I like them very much. I have fond mem- memories from. Um, the Catskill Game Farm, uh, and uh, yeah, I remember being in the goat pen with them, and they were formidable. You had to be careful; they could really kick your butt. You know, <laughs> there were a here. lot of them there too. They yes, bought a lot. Every, every kid and every lamb from everybody who was willing to sell them in the spring to them. And they, really? you know, at the Catskill Game Farm, I certainly sold lots of kids up to the Catskill Game Farm. I, I, they I wondered them why be, they had so many. They wanted many. them to be pretty young. They wanted them to be, you know, just barely weaned. Yeah. Right? Because they wanted to keep them drinking milk so that they could sell milk to the visitors. Oh, yeah. Right? And they swore, oh, enough. we keep them alive. We have a big herd of goats. And I'm looking around, and I'm like... Uh-huh, and there's, like, big cats here and other carnivores. Mm-hmm. We know what happens to the, the kids and the lambs at the end of the year, the right thing, which is they become the food that helps the carnivores get through the winter. Oh, really? Wow. 
That's what I. That's what I think happened to them. They always denied it. They said, "Oh no, no, we we have the big pasture for them." I'm like, mm, uh, it, sure. ha- it has to be true because I can remember not only as a kid, but taking my son, my little son, child there, and there had to be at least fifty little baby goats in in the pen. Yes, and I'm telling you that they bought all those baby goats from yeah. us. Not from yeah, me I've, personally, but everybody that I knew sold baby goats and right. baby lambs to them because it was oh, wow. a nice way to do it. You didn't have to take them to auction. You could just take them to the Catskill Game Farm, and they'd give you, it wasn't a lot, maybe $25 for them. But you thought, you know, well, at least I'll have a happy summer being petted and enjoyed by the by the children. But it is kind of frightening to be in a whole group of baby goats. Um, yeah, uh, well, they can really get out of hand and they always give you peanuts to feed them and that's where it all goes wrong. You know, once you give the the kid the food and I think they even have bottles, right? You can buy. That's what I'm saying. They sell, yes, bottles of milk. That's what they're really looking for, that milk. That thing that Ellen and I were just talking about, you know that they don't just go up to the mother and, like, nurse. Yeah. They go up to the mother and they butt the mother. They butt, yeah. They butt. Yeah. They they smash their head yeah. into the mother's head. Yeah. And then yeah. they start. Like, so when you have a bottle, that's yeah. what they're going to do. They're going to come over and butt you to let you know they're ready to nurse. I think they always had, like, some kind of handler inside, but they would let someone... Oh, I'm glad. Right, that he couldn't keep it all together, you know. And, yeah, kids were getting butted left and right all the time. Yeah. (laughs) It was, you know, kind of funny. They'd fall down. Some some of them would cry. Other ones would laugh. You never know. (laughs) Well, anyway, I thought that was a funny story about that goat uh, being found. I'm glad you had that you had that experience when you were young. What's what a delicious memory to have. Oh yeah, my parents were very good about um getting kids out in nature. Um and we always did that. Yeah. Um yeah. That's how we ended up here. Uh just in the early days we'd come up to go camping and have time in the mountains and People fall in love with that. Kind of amazing. Easy to fall in love with the Catskills. It, it is. And um, I'm an ocean person, and I still love the water, but I would never leave here now. <laughs> it's just so magical. Well, we have the Hudson River, which is an arm of the sea, so we can claim we have a river that's tidal. Tidal, tidal water, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I was sitting by the Esopus a couple of days ago. Yeah, so the even mouth. the Esopus is tidal, way up, too. Yeah. I was surprised. I was, I was saying that to my friend that I thought it was tidal. And um, yeah. so we're in the marshy area, and I had my eyes closed, beautiful breeze, and I felt like somebody was looking at me, and I opened my eyes, and, Thirty, forty feet above me is this eagle, just almost stopped at an air, just gliding over me, looking me in the face. 
and I I thought, oh, wow, and then the partner came right behind and did the same, and then they just hooked up and flew up the stationery, and that was, you know, that was that. Uh, I what, thought that was so beautiful. What a magnificent piece of work that was to bring the bald eagle back from the verge of extinction so that now we all get to enjoy seeing them. It's hardly uh, a month during the summer months that I don't see eagles either on my property or out on the Hudson River. It's so wonderful to have them back. Yeah, me too. Whenever I have any activity, they show up to have a peeky. They're 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 so nosy. They always want to see what are you doing. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good image. The nosy eagle. Yeah, uh, I've I like often it. heard people's noses compared to eagles, but to think of a nose on an eagle—that's a new one. I like it. Well, they have a big beak, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So I like your tree series that you're doing on Healthy Life. Thank you. That's really spectacular. I, I admire your work. The The stories are wonderful. You're a very good narrator, and it just is so peaceful to listen to you tell the stories. And I, I really think that's where <laughs> the... The nut and bolts of of wisdom lies is within these the stories, and they might not seem so uh, beneficial in a in a matter of fact way, like oh, you know what what does this mean, or you know how is this going to help me? But um, they're really spectacular, and the the one the song of the trees, I'm very interested in that one. I can't wait to hear you continue that story. Yes. And do the, the, the next, the Slippery Elm. Uh, slippery Elm, yeah. Yeah. Begin the beginning elm. of, coming up, beginning of May. Comfrey Conference coming up the second week of May. Um, Midwest Women's Herbal Conference coming up the last of May. My first trip away from home in two years. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow, that's big. Yeah. yeah. Wow, good. That I'm looking so good. So yeah. looking forward to it. I really, in the same way that you're talking about the stories and how we learn from the stories, yeah. especially herbal medicine as people's medicine is nourished and promulgated by these women's herbal gatherings. I was walking with Lisa today who comes and helps me out um, with all kinds of things. And we were going over all of the herbal gatherings that had been started by past apprentices. I went out to Brighton Bush. Gosh, it must have been like 81, 82, let's say 40 years ago. And I came back here kind of huffy that out there they thought that the only herbalists there were were those on the West Coast. 
And Pam was apprenticing with me at that time, and I was being, you know, talking to her about about that they don't think there's any airballs on the East Coast, but there are. They're just kind of, you know, shyer or more huh. hidden, you know. And huh. um, that caused Pam to start one of the first herbal conferences called Green Nations. And it was a very long-running herbal conference and just drew really exquisite people, so many wonderful connections. And then all of the the regional ones, the past apprentice, Gail Ulrich, started the Northeast Women's Herbal Conference. The past apprentice, Karina Wood, started the Southeast Women's Herbal Conference. Linda Conroy, a past apprentice, runs the um, Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. Eagle Song, out on the West Coast, runs the Pacific Women's Herbal Conference. And all of these conferences are, of course, devoted to the wise woman way and not just um, having people come and talk about herbs as drugs or the latest research of what happens if you um, feed rats nothing but this herb for their entire <laughs> lives and then examine them, you know. Uh, no, you know, yeah. real recreation of herbal medicine, which doesn't do it by experimenting on animals, but does it by experimenting on each other, right? Which in a way is what this country conference is, right? It's a presentation of the information that we have gathered by experimenting on each other with comfrey for the past 40 years. I wish I could join the online. I can't because I don't have the internet and my phone doesn't support, my browser doesn't support it. I can't get on. You can't. You don't have any internet access, even through a library. Well, I'm riding the snake right now. Uh, I have a garden cart about 12 inches off the ground, and that is my, that is my legs for the last eight months. All right. So yeah, Interesting. all right is right. Garden I mean, cart. All right. Garden cart. A two-wheeled um, or one-wheeled garden cart? Four, of course. Four wheels, yes. Oh, good. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> now well, all we last, need is to hook a goat up to pull it for you. The last one, so this one has a steel frame, and it's doing, and it's got like a, not studded, but um, <clears throat> uh, textured uh, wheels. So it, it, you know, but like that kind of sound, right? When you go, right? Tread. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad I have some wooden floors. It makes it oh so much easier. But yes. yeah, that's how, that's how I get around, and I'm really in a very meditative state uh, where I don't move much. And the dream world has been very kind to me. Um, I feel very blessed that way. Um, I've suffered from sleep disturbances in my life where every time I slept it was a nightmare or then you didn't sleep at all because you were too afraid to go to sleep, you know. 
that kind. And then you, if you did sleep, you didn't really sleep. You had one eye open, you know what I mean. But um, late oh, uh, the other night I had a dream. A mountain lion walked right in my front door. And I was laying on the couch, and and again, I felt like somebody was looking at me. And I look over, and he's looking at me, or she. And uh, I'm like, hmm, well, I can't be bothered with this. I don't know what they're up to, but whatever. And uh, I laid back down, and then I said, wait a second. And I looked back up again, and all I saw was the back legs and the tail, and they were continuing to go into the ether of the east. And I thought, that's really funny. They went from west to east. And it got me thinking about Venus has an opposite rotation than all the other planets, so sun sets in the east and it was like that time of day and it it, it just all struck me so strange like these were the things going through my mind and I still went back to sleep on it and it just it, it stuck with me like as if it really actually happened like feels so real not like a dream but then a bird came in the in the next day, a little chickadee, and we had a little chat and a song, and then the bird left. And now I have a baby squirrel that doesn't want to leave. Um, little little bowl of water and bird seed, and seems quite happy trying to get it to the door, but uh, it it seems a little confused. I don't think it's ever been outside a day in its life. They live in the rafters of my house from a hole from a little hurricane or something we had that blew off some vinyl under the roof, the, the header, I think they call it. So i got to get a trap or something because this is getting insane. With This is like the third time this has happened in like a year. These little baby squirrels. Third time the yeah. baby squirrel has fallen out of the nest and come to live with you. I think they're actually coming through a hole next to the furnace chimney, and then they fall on top and then come out under the door. It was like a door with a, a room with the furnace with a door. And uh, I had the furnace replaced, and ever since then, one time a squirrel fell down. He was the size of a, of a giant cat. I had to call somebody to come and help me, and, and his blood just pouring out of his mouth. He he hit he hit his head so badly. But little babies are much more flexible, right? Like yes. they can really yeah. So the squirrel was uh running along the side of the wall on the bookshelf, the pictures, up the curtain frame, on top of the piano. Oh my goodness. All this stuff. Oh my gracious. So I'll, I'll report back if uh, what happens with little Mr. Chuckles here. He's quite entertaining, but I'm a little worried. Okay. <laughs> uh, Sarah Ellen, how many people are waiting to talk to tonight? 
Right. Uh, we have two listeners that have raised their hands. So I'm going to say green blessings and good night if that works for you. And if not, if you have a question that you haven't yet asked, this is the time to ask it. Who, me? Yes, you. Oh, I thought we already said good night. Um, no, I don't okay, have a then question. Good night. I was just calling just, <laughs> just to chit-chat. That's all. And That's what I thought. I just wanted sing, to be sure that I, that I wasn't. Song if, sing us yeah. a song if you have any time. I love I your have singing. Any time. All right. I will. Thank later you. On. Bye. Please, I Good night. All right. And we've got two callers that have raised their hand by pressing one. The next caller with the raised hand is dialed in from the 208 area code. From the 208, you are live with Susan. I'm on. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? We can Hi. hear you. I'm so, Hi. Oh, I'm so excited to be on the radio. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yay. So I have a question about nettles. Okay. Okay. So I, um, I was late getting to um, the local nettle patch. And when I got there, the tops of the nettles were starting to turn red and some of the stems were turning red. And I was harvesting with my friend who thinks that when they're starting to turn red, they're no longer good for our bodies because they would then be leaching calcium uh, rather than giving us the full nutrition. And so I'm wondering if you have any ideas about that. That's so creative. What amazing <laughs> imagination to make something like that up. <laughs> so, so are you thinking that wow. really great? By what mechanism would it do that? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I so what, what, does and... it, what causes a plant to be a color other than green? Or perhaps an easier question is, what causes a plant to be green? Chlorophyll. Chlorophyll, right. So when there isn't chlorophyll, the plant might be yellow, right? Mm-hmm. Like the bottom part of the asparagus is like yellow or white because it doesn't make chlorophyll because there's no sunlight. And cauliflower, right. mm-hmm. white, doesn't have chlorophyll. Like cauliflower and broccoli are basically the same thing, you know, but one's like gets mm-hmm. green and one stays white. Mm-hmm. So reddening in a plant is something that happens fairly frequently. So much so that we even have cultivated trees that have red leaves year-round, right? Like Japanese maples. Mm-hmm. And it's caused by disruption to the chlorophyll process. Mm-hmm. Now, chlorophyll is a molecule, mm-hmm. and it is virtually exactly the same as hemoglobin. Mm-hmm. So there's this big molecule called chlorophyll that's in plants, and there's this big molecule called hemoglobin that's in people, and they're the same except for one element that's different. And in people, that element is iron, which is what makes our blood red. Mm-hmm. And in plants... It's a mineral that makes chlorophyll green. Mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh. And there are many people who therefore believe that chlorophyll and human blood are so similar that one can become the other. But uh-huh. no amount of putting blood into a plant will cause it to become chlorophyll, and no amount of putting chlorophyll into your body will cause it to become blood. Mm-hmm. So the color in terms of green or red doesn't indicate minerals. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. We're talking about chlorophyll, which isn't a mineral. Okay. But it, it, right? Min, minerals. Yeah. Calcium is a mineral, yes? Right. Yeah. And um, what she has rolled into her equation there are that... Um, There are plants that have a substance in them that can interfere with calcium absorption if the plant isn't cooked. Hmm. So spinach. Spinach has Mm -hmm. that. And beet greens have that. And Swiss chard has that. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. And again, you can see the red in the beet leaves and that Swiss chard leaves mm-hmm. can have red mm-hmm. stalks. Mm-hmm. And it's not the color that could interfere with calcium. So in Germany, they only cook Swiss chard in milk, not water. Mm-hmm. So that you're that you're provided with extra calcium when you eat it. Uh-huh. Think of how many spinach and cheese dishes there are. Mm-hmm. So you're provided with plenty of calcium when you eat it. So I think I've heard you suggest that if you're eating spinach raw, it may interfere with calcium absorption, but if the spinach is cooked, it would not interfere with calcium absorption. Did I hear that correctly? The cooking gets rid of the offending chemical. Cooking breaks it down. And so nettles... It's oxalic acid, and oxalic Uh acid wants to be calcium oxalate because oxalic acid is unstable, and calcium oxalate is stable. But the Uh oxalic acid can't become oxalate in the presence of heat. It becomes something else, which then can't become calcium oxalate. Fascinating. Yeah. And none of that, so far as I know, has anything to do with nettle. (laughs) The other thing that she's um, rolling in there uh is that if nettle gets too far along, it starts to make flower buds and flowers. And generally, we 
don't harvest it at that point. Right. So my so the nettle patch here isn't flowering yet or having flower buds. It's just turning red on top. Uh, would you recommend that it's okay and and good stuff that, to go ahead and see why it's? I don't see any problem at all. Wow, because it is looks delicious. Problem if, if, problem if your beet greens have red on them. Is a problem. problem if your Swiss chard is red? No. 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 It's just a color. Right in fact, on. I'm... In fact, that red coloring usually announces that there are other chemicals called anthocyanins. Mm-hmm. Right? Anthocyanins. Okay. And those are very healthy antioxidants. I'm going to write that down. And throw thy on me. C-I-A-N-I-N. 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 Cyanin. Oh, okay. Very interesting compounds. Remember, they're what makes blueberries such good food. Anything that has dark color. Fantastic. Um, great. I, I'm so glad that, that you are able to share this information. Um, I'm so glad that you exist. I think it's so cool you have a radio show. Um, my phone You're is about to run out of charge. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's so fascinating to me that the same plant will behave differently in different areas. When yeah. I was out west in Washington State, in the fall, I found some nettle by the roadside that had been cut as part of the roadside cutting. Mm-hmm. And it had regrown. And it was yeah. just at that, you know, perfect, like, you know, below knee high uh, place mm-hmm. for the nettle. And I thought, oh, wonderful, you know, I'll pick a bunch of it and I'll eat it. And somebody said, well, the n- Native people wouldn't eat nettle in the autumn. Uh, and I thought, oh, well, that's probably because it was, you know, all flowering and too big, da-da-da. But this mm-hmm. is young and tender. But we cooked it, Eagle Song cooked that nettle, I don't know, four, five, six hours, and it was rope. Wow. We could never eat it. Wow. Was it was it a very sunny location along the road, or was it a road with trees? Um, it was sunny. I mean, we're in, you're in Washington State, sunny. You know, their T-shirt it says it's not a tan, it's rust. <laughs> I've never seen that one. <laughs> Right. Um, I'm going to have to get off the phone now because it's going to run out of charge. Um, I super, super appreciate you. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. And uh, we have one caller with their hand raised. And if anyone listening has a question, you will need to press 1 to open the line and get yourself into the queue. 
Our next caller is dialed in from the 504 area code. From the 504, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Kevin. Hi, Kevin. What's up tonight? Yes, ma'am. I wanted to ask you about the wise woman tradition and addiction and how to approach addiction um, from the wise woman tradition. you're asking me is how to approach being free of addiction. Yes, ma'am. Interestingly enough, I was just reading an article about, you know, all of the bad faith players in the opioid addiction scenario. Which um, hasn't gotten any better due to COVID. And thinking about how few of those people really understood what addiction is. That we still seem to want to believe that addiction is some kind of moral failing or a failing of willpower. And that many people then believe that if they take opioid painkillers, that they will have the moral strength or the willpower to stop not understanding that addiction is a physical state. The classy diary of an opium addict lays it out so exquisitely. Very intelligent person with intractable pain who decides that opium itself, because there were no opioid drugs at that point, is really the only thing that's going to allow him to lead life and his extraordinary lengths that he goes to not to become addicted which works for decades and he then reaches a point where the pain gets worse and he has to take a little more and that puts it over his threshold and he becomes addicted and his description of that I think that if we are working with that, that we need to read it and we need to understand that what we're asking, if we're asking ourselves to not be addicted, is to make a very big physical change. And physical changes are some of the hardest changes. They need to be supported by physical things as well as by mental things. Anytime we are endeavoring to make a large or deep or lasting change in ourselves, especially in our behavior, which is so hard to change, of course, from my perspective, what we want to do first is nourish ourselves. 
And my honest belief is that if we can nourish every aspect of ourselves that needs nourishment, then whatever is available for our most elegant life presents itself. Addiction usually comes about from an inelegant response to life. They did all kinds of things to me in the surgery that left me in a lot of pain. And it was COVID days. And although I had all kinds of herbal painkillers with me, I was literally didn't have the energy to ask somebody to open my bag and get them for me. Mm. So they gave me, you know, um, their opioid painkillers. And when I left the hospital, after having been given these painkillers for two weeks, um, some of them by IV, I was given prescriptions for them. And I was told that I had to take them, that I was now dependent on them. And I came home and threw them away. Because I understand that no one has the moral character, the willpower to not be addicted once you cross that threshold. But everyone can be nourished. And if that nourishment results in a lessening, weakening, or finally the end of an addiction, how wonderful. Brigitte Mars has written an herbal about herbs that seem to help people who are ready to see if they can move away from what they're addicted to. I have certainly seen some people and heard many other stories of cannabis being an ally to people. And I know some people seem very horrified by that. And they say, well, wait a second. We're talking about people who are like addicted to like drugs and you're going to give them a drug. I'm like, well, A, cannabis isn't a drug, it's a plant. And B, it really isn't addictive. There's not a physical addictive pathway. That doesn't mean it can't be habitual or habituating. Mm-hmm. That's different than what you and I are talking about in terms of an actual addiction. Mm-hmm. And as cannabis is becoming more legal in more places and more available, 
that's the one thing that I mentioned. There are certainly others. Um, more difficult to obtain, more difficult to use wisely, ibogaine, and other things of that ilk. I love that you centered nourishment. It's as if nourishment in its essence magnetizes us for the elegant life that we are seeking. Thank you for sharing that. I was especially I was especially moved when I was visited by a person who was brought to visit because someone who had apprenticed with me was working at the ARC and he was diagnosed as anorexic because he wouldn't eat. And she wanted to see what would happen if she fed him real food. Mm-hmm. And so she, she got, you know, permission to take him on a day trip and, and brought him over. And as soon as we put out the real bread and the real cheese, he started eating <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I just like I'm no, I'm not eating that stuff. The stuff you're feeding me, forget it. Not gonna do it. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, and because of his his different, you know, mental functioning, it, to him. He didn't, like, quite, I don't think, get what he was actually doing. It was just to him, like, no, I can't eat that food. You know, if you can't provide me with real food, then I'm not eating. Wow. So I'd like to say, you know, of course, that she was able to go back to the the ARC and get his diet changed, but of course not. (laughs) Right. But it just it, 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 it impressed me with how how strong the response to nourishment can be and how instantaneous that it doesn't have to be some very slow moving thing. Mm. So nourishing herbal infusions, of course, is what anybody says. You know, I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted to that. I say, let's start with nourishing herbal infusions. And let's make a habit of drinking a nourishing herbal infusion a day. And even that already now, we have created um, a daily pattern. And that helps break the addictive cycle. There's already a scaffolding for a daily habit. We just need to shift the activity that's daily. Right. Mm. Okay. 
you for that insight very much. You are welcome. It sounds like you've been doing this work with people. Is there anything you want to share with us? Yes, ma'am. In my practice, I have been uh, kind of co-creating the vision for a new future with patients who have found themselves addicted to pharmaceuticals and uh, methamphetamine. And my initial approach had to be unique because many have tried and not found success. And I had the intuition to address nourishment as far as deficiencies in the diet, but your reframing it as being a nourishment focus rather than looking for what's missing, let's put in more of what we want is, uh, I love it. I love it. And it gives me the spark that I need to um, kind of excite the minds of the patients who have gotten uh, overwhelmed, bogged down, depressed, or even guilty about, or shameful, you know, ashamed of the way their families and communities view their addiction. Many of them hide what they're going through, and the ones who are sharing what they're going through are not finding a lot of compassion outside of their uh, drug-using social circles. So, yeah, this has been really, really helpful. Another thing that I think is important is that as we move into addiction, especially in terms of drugs, we actually become simplified because those drugs are simple compounds. And the nourishing herbal infusions are very complex. And it reawakens complexity within us. I love that. Yes. I remember listening to an old uh, broadcast where you talk about reintroducing wild foods into the diet um, to kind of give our microbiome the boost it needs and that complexity you just mentioned. It, I love it. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for investigating so deeply and reaching out to offer a hand across the slippery rocks, across the rushing waters. Thank you so much for your wisdom, Susan. Green blessings. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. All right, and at this time, we do not have any callers that have raised their hand. 
I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question this evening, you do need to press one to get yourself lined up in the queue. Um, so, have, I have oh, here, I have here a catalog from Pacific Botanicals. And it's a wonderful herb company. Have you done anything specific but Botanicals? I've done a little bit with them, and um, this year I am on the list for fresh plants from them. I want to play with lavender, um, and I have, um, yeah, they've provided that before, actually through a class that Linda Conroy did here years ago, and so they still offer it. And Oh, yeah, they're fabulous. Their herbs are mm, premium, premium quality. Premium, you're going to pay premium quality prices at Pacific Botanicals. But if you have a hankering, say, to make a tincture of a fresh plant that doesn't grow in your area, they probably grow it and will overnight ship it to you. Mm-hmm. So, yay, Pacific Botanicals out in Grants Pass, Oregon, and they are at www.pacificbotanicals.com And I also got a catalog from Star West Botanicals. Mm, And Star Star West is another wonderful, wonderful company that is perhaps underutilized and not enough people know about Star West and they have they are, have a really nice selection of teas. They say, we are your direct source for the finest teas in the world. Wow. wow. Su- superior cultivation, testing, and processing. We have developed an unrivaled network of carefully selected growers and organic farmers from all over the world. This global herbal partnership is our strength, the uniqueness in this industry, and the key to our unmatched quality and consistency. Mm. Star West. Right. And they are www.starwest-botanicals.com. Not one of those things at the bottom, but an actual little dash up there between the letters. Starwest-botanicals.com. And especially if you like, you know, green tea or black tea, they are like the tea maidens. And uh, and, uh, I'm just about to put in one of my quarterly orders to Frontier. Frontier was one of the first large herbal companies in terms of selling herbs in the United States. And they are a workers' co-op, the workers' own frontier. And for a few years, they had wonderful, big herbal festival out in Iowa. Oh, wow. What a fun time that was. So I, I have always really enjoyed Frontier. And they also have 
because they've been around for so long, this really amazing network, worldwide network of places where they get their ethically sourced and their organic herbs. And just, again, amazing consistency and quality. And I haven't been finding that consistency and consistency of quality in other places. I understand it's become harder. If you Mm -hmm. don't already have those networks set up, that the supply chain disruptions and the whole just general disruptions of COVID are making it hard. And so that's why I thought, well, maybe if we have a few minutes tonight, I'm going to talk about Frontier Herb and Star West Botanicals and Pacific Botanicals because these are the established places. These are the places that have those networks and can keep the nettle rolling along, huh? <laughs> blessed be, blessed be. Blessed be. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> but, you know, when I think about, I've been buying herbs from Frontier since the late 70s. Wow. And every once in a while, you know, you're like rooting around in the back of some bin or drawer or bottom of a closet or something, and you pull out this old bag of herb, mm-hmm. you know, from like 1980. You say, Whoa. And every bag mm-hmm. of Frontier Herb that I find like that, that herb's still good. Wow. Love that. <laughs> Just phenomenal quality. Nice. Yeah, I love my frontier too. I, yep, have placed orders with each and every one of them, and I, I agree. Thank you for providing us with such wonderful herbs. <laughs> and we do have two callers that have raised their hands too. And All right, well, let's get them in. All right, let's see. We are going to go next to the 443 area code from the 443. You are live with Susan. Hey, Susan, it's Kimberly calling you from a weird area code. How you doing? Oh, hi, Kimberly. You must have, your ears must have been burning. I was talking to somebody about you. Oh, really? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I must have missed that part of the call. <laughs> um, I, but, um, Lisa, I was talking to Lisa about you. No, not on, the, not on this uh, call. When Lisa and I were walking earlier today. Oh, wonderful. Hey, um... So yeah, I'm still in my office in Tampa. So I'm I uh, everybody else is gone. So I figured I'd just listen to the call here instead of trying to do it in a car. Um, so here's I have a, I have two questions. One is physical, and the other one is more uh, metaphysical. Um, I have um, some protruding veins in my thighs, and they're starting. A couple of them are starting to get rather large, and Besides being ugly, um, I guess um, I'm thinking that I may want to do something about that. Herbalane, what's usually suggested, is compresses with astringent herbs like witch hazel or horse chestnut. They also have 
lots of new high-tech surgery, which mm-hmm. I hear is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and in, in terms of compression, um, like like compression stockings or that sort of thing, I I had a, um, a, a, a place where I had fallen and it, it blew up a vein. And I, I wore one of those like compression socks for like just a day or two and it actually took it down quite a bit. But um, I'm just curious if that also works. Well, give it a try and see. It sounds good. Okay. Um, all right. So now metaphysically, um, okay. So I'm driving and um, a large goose, I think it was a goose or a large duck, some, you know, large bird flew right into my car. And, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't avoid it. And I went back and I tried to see, you know, if she was still alive and, and I was going to give her death because I didn't want her to suffer. Um, um, and so I was quite uh, unnerved by that um, for a number of reasons. Um, and then <laughs> yesterday morning, as I'm getting ready to leave, I always open the front door and get a little fresh air. And uh, there um, sitting in, just inside the little screen was a little tree frog. And... Mm-hmm. She, um, she. I said, okay, well, you, you can't come in because the cats, it won't be a good scene. So please, you know, like scoot on out and, um, you know, I'll come back. Well, when I came back through, she wasn't there, but I could see my cat had something cornered behind the television. Anyway, long story short, I chased this little tree frog around for about half an hour and finally managed her to get her back outside. Um, and I... I am not in possession of my animal speak, and I'm just curious if you have, if you can get any sense of, of if this is just coincidences, and I, sh- you know, or if there's, if there's any sort of feeling around it, because I was just so grief stricken when um, that that bird flew into my um, into my uh, car. And you know, I again, I just, I don't know. It just, it, 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 it almost made me not want to. Was did it die? Yes. Yeah, it hit right above my rearview mirror on the passenger side, and she was just lifting up off the ground, and she, she happened to fly right across the roadway. I couldn't avoid her, and um, you know, I was like, oh, I should have slowed down or something, but you know, I don't know. It was just a just a weird thing. I mean, how often does a duck fly into your car? I mean, or a goose, um, you know, and then this, this, the tree frog, I haven't seen her since before my mom died. So I was like, what are you showing up? You know, what, why are you showing up here? Um, you know, what, what is it, you know, to have encounters with, you know, two animals. So the last, and, you know, the last time you saw the tree frog, was it, Telling you your mom was going to die? Was it... Mm. Is it connected to your mom? It could be. Maybe she's got a message. Because what's the word that usually goes before goose? Mother goose. Okay. All right, I'll sit with that. Thank you. You're welcome. Love you. Love you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. <laughs> Any blessings? 
All right, we've got just about nine minutes before we are joined by our guests and our two callers with their hands raised. Next caller dialed in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Hello, is that me? That's you. What's up? Hi, Susan. Um, I want to thank you for your suggestion of not, I haven't bought juice, orange juice or grape juice since I heard from you saying not to do that. Thank you. And what's up is I would like to exercise more efficiently in that I kind of have the senior senior exercise on and off when I'm able to, but I've taken what they do and I do it at home. I, do, I choose not to use the Internet at all unless it's a total emergency or whatever. I do not use the Internet, basically. Or So I'm wondering if I can find a phone trainer or something like that. And um, uh, the larger picture is I've spoken to you on a Tuesday night on your private session, I think, years ago. I suggested singing nettle. I'm, put, put it humorously, I'm disabled from the ears up. I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder for over 30 years, and I'm learning to live with it better. Um, two words that have helped me and might help others listening is the difference between loneliness and solitude. I enjoy my solitude. Your turn. Questions? Thank you for telling us that you're disabled from the ears up. That's a new one for me. I like that. It's very uh, clear what you're talking about when you say that. And, um, you know, just like we were talking about in the previous call about addiction, um, and the kind of moral um, looking down your nose at other people that seems mm-hmm. to still go along with addiction and with being disabled from the ears up, as though it was some choice that you were making, um, instead of recognizing that the choice that you're making is exactly as you say, to live your best life with it. May I? Please. I feel, I've often said I'm addicted to my emotions. I say that at AA when I go. And I'm also addicted to words, etc. Yes, I understand. And that's um, a way that the word addiction is certainly used. I could I could also say I'm, you know, I'm addicted to to words, but the truth of the matter is that if I were separated from words, although I would be unhappy, nothing physical would happen to me. And so it's not actually an addiction. Oh, addiction is only something that's bad. No, it's not something that's bad. It's something that's physical. Addictions are physical. They're not a choice. Choice. Oh, you, you're compelled? I can, you, I can say I'm addicted to words, but then I could choose to simply be without words. And although I would be grumpy, I would not go into a seizure or, um, well, a friend of mine had a family member who was an alcoholic who decided 
that he was going to cure himself of his addiction to alcohol. And he wound up on a train that was stalled, and he couldn't get any alcohol, which he was addicted to, and he died. Hmm. That's addiction. He was stuck on a train? For four hours. It was stalled. And he and couldn't the, get any uh, alcohol. And he withdrawal had, killed him. He, his, his withdrawal was so strong that it caused a heart attack and he died, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would not, that wouldn't happen to me, withdrawing from words. May I say seven Please. words? Right. Um, how do you feel yes. about live simply that others may simply live? I feel fine about that. And as you might know, I certainly exemplify that in everything I do. It's one of the reasons that I'm the champion of the weeds, because weeds are one of the best ways to live simply. Yes, yes. Um, I'll let someone else fill up the time, but may I leave you with a few other thoughts, please? Please. Um, this past Tuesday on CBS This Morning, they had a segment of one of my favorite things called Earthship. I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Reynolds out of Taos, New Mexico, concept of autonomous housing, uh, warmed by the sun and cooled by the earth. It's Earthship. There was a seven-minute segment on Tuesday, and I believe it's on YouTube. Someone was looking for it. What? What a delight. It wouldn't exactly work where I live. There's over 100 springs on my property. I'd have to be in an aquarium. Volume <laughs> 2 is how it can be slated to any environment, possibly shoreline for tidal rise. Right. Any environment can be adapted to. Oh, good. Wonderful. Okay, be well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that. Earthship. Love, love. Bye. Green blessings. Bye-bye. All right, and we've got about three minutes for the last caller dialed in from the 662. From the 662, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. How are you? I'm well, and you? I'm doing fine. This is Stephanie. I'll call you. Uh, sometime last year in August, I was, that I, and I was asking you about, like, gaining weight and what, I, you know, things that I could do to kind of help. And I've... I make progress, and I might lose a little bit. I do make progress. It's on the right eat three good squares, and I'm picking up on the Guinness beer in the evening sometime, and ice cream. I love ice cream. But I do have a question for you. I would have, something that I've had happen in the last maybe four months is I've gotten a tumor in my right arm and root shakiness in my leg. And it's it be worse if I get stressed, and I've got some things going on right now in my world, you know, that I'm, and it aggravates me, but it, it's unnerving because it takes when you say a, When you say a tumor, is it a fatty a tumor? Is it a cancerous tumor? Is it a... No, oh, no. Excuse me, I'm sorry. It, it, I've got a terrible accent. It's a tremor, a shaking, a shakiness. A tumor, I, not a tumor. Think I'm, I think I'm not understanding what you're saying. See if you can okay. say it in a slightly different way so that I can get it because I'm somehow being okay. very stupid about this. Oh, no. <laughs> I have a terrible accent. 
Um, I have a shakiness in my right arm, more like a tremor. You have a stiffness in your right arm? A tremor, a T-R-E-M-O-R. Tremor, a shakiness. Yes. <laughs> ah, <laughs> great. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the light finally dawns on Susan. <laughs> and have you talked to a doctor about this? Has Parkinson's been ruled out? Uh, well, I know I haven't been to a doctor, and that you say that does come to my mind my, my dad, who died of early onset Parkinson's at 62. I'm 53. I try not to think about that because I don't want to worry myself into that state, but I'm aware of that. You know, in my mind, Drink I know that. <laughs> What's that? I'm sorry. Drink more coffee. Coffee, okay. Drink more, up to five cups a day. Really? Go online and find the studies. The caffeine staves off the Parkinson's. Okay. It's a a really strong and direct connection between not having Parkinson's and, and getting caffeine, and especially in your situation. Because uh, I I kind of was thinking about that, and I know it, I, um, that you know it could be just my nerves. Like I said, I've got a lot going on, but it is definitely one one sided, which concerns me. My stepmom, she said when my dad started, he knows it was both sides. Because I asked her, I'm like, is it one sided or both sided? How did it start? And it just concerns me because I don't. And rattles up against the pillow at night, you know, and and I have issue with my foot on the same side where my first two toes. Or my, well, my. Not my so, are you that, thinking that you might have had a stroke? I, if I did, I don't know it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, know, possible, it's possible to have what they call a a tia, a transient, transient ischemic. Okay. All right. Um, and they can, if you do go to a doctor, they can usually tell if that has happened. There are okay. enzymes and other markers in your blood that help them know. And the reason to find out about these things is not to scare yourself, but so that you can indeed take effective action. That's what I want to do because I know that you know, I, I tell myself at night when it shakes and I can't go to sleep, it's like, you are not real. I'm <laughs> looking at my hand and I'm going, you are not real. Uh-huh. You're, you're just my nerves. You're going away right now because I need to <laughs> I try to talk to it. And so, so I understand and wishful thinking is wonderful and I have nothing against <laughs> it. I have absolutely nothing against the power of positive thinking. But I also have nothing against an actual diagnosis which does not have to capsize us. You know, and doesn't doesn't have to be the end of the world. It becomes a foundation from which we build what we want. You always get it because there's times I've listened to the blogs and of previous shows, and you'll hit upon something that will strike me in my heart. This is one of those times that you caught me because 
I haven't gone to the doctor to see the age because of money. I don't have a job right now, and of course, I don't have insurance. But it's nice to know that they can do a blood test, like you were talking about, about the stroke thing, and not have to see me through an X-ray machine and what whatnot. But I've tried not to think about Parkinson's and think that it's just maybe a compressed nerve or something. And I've got my St. John's wart that I use on my foot because my toes curl sometimes, and it's on and off throughout the day. Things get they'll get better, it gets worse. I've got my St. John's wart. I've ordered some comfrey and I've got the nettle and the oats, and I do, for the most part, you know, maybe three, four days out the week, I do some infusion, trying to kind of stretch it out right now. Okay. I, but, didn't, nec- I didn't necessarily say you have to go to a doctor. What I said is you need a diagnosis. Yes. And that can be from a dream. That can be from, you know, but you need <laughs> to, it's interfering with your ability to be healthy to be at war with your body, which is what you're setting up. Yeah. I think you just gave me... Right. So, you know, if it is Parkinson's, then let's let's have a dream. Let's have uh, some strong indication that that's what it is so that you can prepare yourself well for it. And you get it every time you say something that strikes me, and you got me this time. <laughs> I get fascinated with that. You're good. <laughs> All right. Something I'm going to say green blessings so that we can yes, talk I'm to calling. Opal. Uh, thank you so much for yes. calling and calling mm-hmm. back and for being here and for hearing me. Thank you. Too. Y'all have a good evening. Thank you. Green good blessings. Night. Good. Green blessings. And is Opal Luna with us? Yes. Now, people in other places might say, hmm, Opal Luna doesn't sound like a, a real name. But, hey, I live in Woodstock. I remember when my daughter was uh, in the choir and they all had shirts with their names. on. Her name was Justine. It was the most most ordinary name of the entire bunch. So Opal Luna would fit in just in here in Woodstock. She's crone priestess of Minerva, a longtime witch, a crocheter, and a teacher. Opal Luna's new book is Fiber Magic, a witch's guide to spellcasting with crochet, not work, and weaving. Opal is currently serving the South Florida Pagan community as an officer of the Moon Path Grove, and I don't know if you were here at the early part of the show, Opal Luna, but Sarah Ellen was going ecstatically about her visit to your website, which is Fiber Magic with K M A G I C K FiberMagic.com. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan, very much. Uh, yes, I, I have enjoyed your whole show this evening, and uh, I was blushing. I was blushing earlier when she was giving me such praises. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you enjoyed the story about the crocheted bikini that fell off, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I totally understand that. Yes, I, um, I've been crocheting since I was eight years old, and so I was a teenager in the 70s, so I made my share of um, – of vests and and so forth and I made one and I think I did 
the weeds were a little too big, and by the time I got home from school, it was down to my knees. <laughs> That's not what I expected it to do. So, uh, yeah, well, you live and learn. Indeed, <laughs> uh, one of my uh, most wonderful crochet projects was a baby blanket that I crocheted for my daughter, mm-hmm. and I crocheted it, you know, just about the width of her, you know, baby bed. But I just kept going and going and going. It's about 12 feet long. <laughs> well, that's a, good, that's a good wrap for a baby. She was swallowed fine. Oh, really? <laughs> long, <blanky. laughs> Very nice. <laughs> so, do you think that I'm off track when I'm saying that um, all of us in previous generations, because we grew wildcrafted, spun, wove, cut out, and sewed our clothes, in, invoked magic through all of those things? You are spot on when you say that. Absolutely. And uh, I like the way you said that uh, whether we intend it to or not, you know, because our energy is going to get into anything that we make with our hands. So why not do it intentionally and and mindfully so that we know what kind of um, hoodoo goes in there, you know, so we can use it for healing and encouraging uh, people when they're going through their journeys. That's that's what my magic is all about. There's I, I want to give a I want to give a shout out to Comfrey too, since the, I was listening about the Comfrey conference. Um, yes. I have four. I have four children, and um, they were born in the late 70s, early 80s, and I had a lot of trouble breastfeeding due to cracked nipples and and that sort of thing, and Comfrey ointment was my savior. It really was. How did you use it? Well, after I would feed the baby, then I would just... um, just lavishly, you know, apply the aloe ointment, the um, comfrey ointment, and just, you know, let it heal and soothe until the next feeding. And I was able to feed all three, all four of my children for the first year of their life that way. So I'm, I'm a an oh, avid oh, fan oh, of. Oh, wonderful! What a beautiful story. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> So what would you say to someone who says, I wouldn't even know which end of a crochet hook to hold. How could I get myself involved in doing this kind of magic? Uh, Well, um, buy my book. No. (laughs) Um, Yes, that's a good response. Buy her book. book. (laughs) That's a good start. And you really um, can start with the magic part right away. And it doesn't have to be crochet. Maybe you're already a knitter or you do macrame. I mean, any of those arts, embroidery is tying knots. And the original idea of the magic is not magic, you know. So every time you're tying a knot, you're tying your intention into that work. So my passion happens to be crochet. And so when I teach crochet, I right away show people that even just with the basic chain stitch, you can start using it in your magical practice. 
And that encourages them because some people never get past the chain stitch and that's okay. You know, because as you're making each one of those chains and focusing your energy, you could even, you could be relieving yourself of stress or you could be putting healing energy into that. And they call it a slip knot because it slips back out. And when you pull both ends, it just goes pop, 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 pop gone and you send that energy out to where it's needed or away from you you know so um it, it's really it's really uh right from the first day that you learn to crochet you can start doing magic so it's it's encouraging in that way yeah yeah so you um, can a, you can take a piece of yarn or a piece of string uh-huh. Uh-huh. and you can even crochet with your fingers by uh-huh. pulling a loop through a loop through a loop through a loop. Yep. And as you do that, you can put into that, I think you said things that are distressing us. And then mm-hmm. when you get as far as you want, you just pop, 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 pull it so that it's a piece of string again. And you've gotten rid of all that stuff. Exactly. Wow, that's Very- brilliant. <laughs> and then when you go into your, you know, use it in your healing um, practice, then you can put healing uh, intention into that and send it out to someone. You could do long distance healing and then you could get really fancy, you know, because you can anoint the um, yarn with some appropriate oil, some rosemary, some lavender, you know, whatever's needed in that in in that case and um send that out i have a little fiber magic uh emergency kit set up with some oils and um and yarn and a hook and so if i hear about someone uh in a that has an issue i can uh quickly send them some love in that way as part of my practice it doesn't it doesn't have to be fancy you know, but then that doesn't have to be fancy. It does you don't have to? You don't have no. to make a big deal of it. You can let it be simple magic. Yes, simple, simpler the better. You know, you're. <laughs> I mean, you're just the act of making something with your hands is magic because it was it was a an idea in your head. It came out through your hands. And it manifested into the world where everybody can see it and touch it. So you're making tangible expressions of your intentions, and and that is magical in itself. Don't worry if it's a little wonky, <laughs> or you know, or or you chose the wrong color. It's that's impossible. You can't because you're going to do exactly what's needed in any case. Absolutely. You can work so with color, does, does color it have healing, to, color magic. Does it have to be natural fiber? When I'm doing serious magic, I like to use natural fiber because that just adds one more layer of intention. You get strength from the cotton. You get, um, uh, you know, uh, certain things from bamboo or hemp. Hemp, hemp will save the world. I swear. We we could save the world with hemp because you can eat it, you can drink it, you can run your car on it, you can make your clothes with it. And so that idea, that mindset will be 
will be what you're starting with when you use that yarn to make something. Natural fibers absolutely are more magic, are, you know, more uh, conducive to magic, but they're making some really nice acrylics now. Um, and I'm, I'm encouraged by actually by the Lego people who are making their bricks out of sugar cane and <laughs> getting off, yes, getting off the petroleum. So I am, I am challenging all yarn companies <laughs> to get off the petroleum and please, 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 you know, work with these natural fibers and make us some cost-effective um, yarns, you know, that stand up to to the test of uh, baby blankets, you know, <laughs> that can go through the washing machine. <laughs> That's what with, we need. You did it with smart wool. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We've got, yeah. we've got so many options now that, uh, it, you know, you don't have to be a yarn snob. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't hurt. <laughs> my my fiber teacher said that the synthetic fibers couldn't hold a spell. I've heard that too. Yes, yeah, they they don't hold uh, the charge like uh, like a cotton or a wool or a bamboo would. Yeah. Right. But um, I'm not... uh, You couldn't use it, but you should only expect short-term results. Right, right. So save that for, you know, your mundane um, crocheting. But but you still have uh, a certain amount of energy that goes in there. It may not last, but the idea is there, and especially if you're if what you're making is being used as something all the time, um, used as a piece on an altar or, or something like that. Um, it's constantly it's, being recharged and renewed. Yeah, it's going to be useful. It's still going to be useful. It may not be as natural, but I'm, I'm not opposed to using whatever you can, uh, what, what's available to you. I think yeah. that, I yeah, I think that any witch would. You know, you said something yes. interesting <laughs> before that, you know, this is women's work. And it started out because it was a necessity. And once upon a time, we were just trying to keep our families fed and clothed and alive, you know. So you would make a brew for someone who was ill. You'd take the same herbs and make a talisman and hang it around their neck because it couldn't hurt, you know, and you used what you had available. And uh, so we have more options right now, but we, we should just appreciate those options and use everything that we can, you know, that's available to us. That's, that's what I Thank believe anyway. You. Thank you for that. <laughs> Don't, yes. you know, don't don't let anybody belittle your work because maybe you can only afford what you can afford. That's that's not right. That's not right. I think I think I would rather have um, I would rather have something made by someone with love and 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 from the widow's might. You know, from what they 
what they have then to uh, have the most the most expensive yarn in the yarn shop. Because really, that intention. (laughs) Yes, it's that intention that's very important. Really, it's that intention. Absolutely. So, you you crochet? Do you do any other uh, kinds of uh, work? I like to do macrame too. Well, I had a woman approach me. She's a professional knitter. And mm. she wanted to know if I would trade her, like herbal medicine classes, for knitting mm-hmm. instruction. I said, absolutely. I said, I really want to knit socks. Yeah. So we got together, and she told me, you know, what supplies I needed, and I got those supplies. And she said, okay, so cast on, da-da-da-da-da. And I said, well, I don't know how to cast on because I don't know how to knit. Mm. And she looked at me, and she said, well, you can't start by learning socks. I said, you told me you were going to teach me to knit socks. So I know how to knit socks, but not like mufflers or potholders. (laughs) (laughs) And I said in in absolute awe of the woman who figured out how to turn a heel. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And and right up there with her is the woman who learned how to finish the toe so that it's not lumpy or hard. I mean, mm-hmm. wow, that's some skilled fiber magic. Yes, absolutely. I've I've never got the knack of knitting. Seems very tedious to me, but my daughter can do both. My daughter can knit and crochet. Very proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that knitting is more tedious if you learn American style. Unfortunately, I learned European style. Oh, okay. I have to look into that. Maybe there's maybe there's hope for me yet. <laughs> I think there is because in the American style you drop the yarn and then pick it up again. And in European style it's much more like crocheting. Okay. You know I just was con- I was uh, con- just I had a continuous If crocheting is not boring to you, European style knitting wouldn't be boring to you. Okay. It's something I, uh, literally I mean, you while you're watching TV, it's like it becomes that automatic. Yeah. Yeah. Not socks, because I was knitting patterns and stripes and all that, but, you know, I would right. do that, like, bling right. and, and so on. Oh, I spent a, three or four years knitting socks for every single person I loved. It was a glorious time. Wonderful. Right, That's and then cool. I went and then I went on to what, whatever was next. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, a, I'm a fair-weather knitter, what can we say? <laughs> I crochet every single day. It's like a part of me. Um, it's like breathing for me. When you, doing it for, you work with children? To, um, not, no, not necessarily, no. I do not uh-huh. work with children for the most part. I've had some Pee Wee Pagan um, classes I, I was the guest host of. <laughs> I do I right. crochet, but to adults, yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, I had a I had a student this weekend that was a knitter and she was she was crocheting. She was holding the yarn and the hook in the same hand and she was just like looping it over the hook and I was like, You're not using your left hand at all <laughs> Like, this is weird. See, that's that's like American that. style yeah. knitting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, awkward, like Whoa, hi, you got two hands. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, well, that's in first name, it's like every year, you know? Yeah. 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 So is it, is it like just do whatever you want? You can do no wrong? Or are there things that we need to, like, be alert to or aware of if we're doing cyber magic? We've said um, that we can use anything and that as with anything, intention has a lot to do with it. And so sometimes we might want to choose something special because of our intention, but that the intention is the most important thing. So I once had somebody call me, she's totally freaked out, really almost beside herself freaked out. And I said, just calm down and tell me what happened. She said, I was meditating with a large quartz crystal and I had a bad thought. It happened. And I said, right? I said, yeah. She said, well, I was magnified a thousand times and put out into the universe. I said, not that good. Don't worry about it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well. So, so do we have to like worry that our thoughts going to be, our intentions going to be magnified a thousand times here in our, in our no. fiber magic? No, I don't think so. But I think that that you can add as many layers of intention as you want while you're embellishing your pro- project because you've got you've got what the yarn is made of that's only one thing then you've got the color of the yarn that's a whole other uh, Ooh, yeah you see, right you can uh, anoint the yarn with uh, an oil or uh you can burn incense while you're working you know these things you can do. And in the book, I have assigned um, a element to each one of the basic stitches, like your chain stitch is on, is that's the first one. So that's the earth. And then on top of the earth, your single crochet is water. And then the, the half double crochet is fire because it dances and your double crochet is air because it's the tallest. Actually, the triple crochet is real tall. That's spirit, you know. So you could make something blue and add the element of fire by using the half double crochet stitch. And I've also assigned a correspondence to each number. So if you're adding eight stitches to every row, you're increasing the success. So there's, you know, you can get as intricate as you want to with this practice. You can make it an actual spiritual by paying attention to all those details. Yeah, yeah. That is so exquisite. That's really, <laughs> yeah. That's just what we need to hear, and that's what we need to remember. I often say to people, "What makes life special?" Is you're making it special. Absolutely. Yes. And, uh, you know, just like a kitchen witch uses herbs and and different uh, foodstuffs, you know, and candle dressings, you use different things to dress your candles. The fiber magician uses all those things and more to create their tangible expression of their intention. That's basically the intention of intention. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I think you started by saying it could even be something as simple as a knot. Yes. 
The latch broke on the gate, and we've been having to tie it shut. And I, at mm-hmm. first, was allowing myself to be annoyed that I can't just latch and unlatch the gate, that I have to actually stop and tie it. And then I said, why don't you, you know, just accept this as a meditation into tying and untying? Absolutely. Yes. That's just a moment in your life where you, you're forced to slow down and do something mindfully, and there's nothing wrong with that. Grumble, grumble. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, the universe forces us. <laughs> it doesn't do about does. it. <laughs> but, you know, fix, fix the gate. <laughs> oh, well, it's such a delight speaking with you. It's hard to believe that our half hour is on the verge of being over. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Anybody who wants to can go to Fiber Magic, and that's magic with a K. It's F-I-B-E-R, mm-hmm. Fiber, M-A-G-I-C-K, FiberMagic.com, and there you mm-hmm. will find Opal Luna and all of her amazing, creative, and imaginative things. And we've now come to the part of the show where I ask you the last question, which is what do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening to you tonight? I would like to tell everyone who's listening that they can be creative, that they can manifest their heart's desire and not to be afraid to just go out there and make the world beautiful. Manifest your heart's desire. Don't be afraid. Go out there and make the world beautiful with knots and macrame and (laughs) fiber, 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 fiber. And check out what Opal Luna is doing. You know that I talk about reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And so we have crocheted a most magnificent bit onto this healing cloak of the ancients tonight with uh, marvelous images and colors and anointments. Thank you so much. And thank you, Sarah Ellen, for um, helping me to put herbal medicine back where it belongs in the hands of people. And hey, everybody who signed up for next weekend's jaunt out in the woods to see the spring ephemerals, dwarf ginseng, coptis. Um, we're too late for the bloodroot. The bloodroot seems to be blooming earlier and earlier every year. But we'll look at the bloodroot even though there's no flowers. Lots of fun things. I'll see you then. Green blessings. Good night, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.